Julian Assange's extradition hearing began in London this week at Belmarsh Court, built next to Belmarsh Prison, where Assange is detained. Belmarsh is also known as Hellmarsh, and it is Britain's equivalent of Guantanamo Bay, built for terrorists and murderers, and these days it houses a world-famous recalcitrant Australian journalist. A series of underground tunnels connects the prison to the court and it was via these tunnels that Assange was brought handcuffed to court, where he was held in a glass cage at the back of the court, isolated from his lawyers and family and where he had trouble hearing his own trial. Belmarsh Court is small and was overflowing with journalists and observers from organisations like Reporters Without Frontiers, the International Journalists Association, and members of European parliaments who were there to observe the fairness of the trial, given the widespread suspicion that this would be a show trial. Only 24 seats were allocated to the public, so after Assange's family and friends were accommodated, there are only 10 public seats in the court for Assange supporters. Many hundreds had turned up to observe the fairness of the trial too. They could not get in and protested outside the court. The largest foreign group were the 120 members of the French Yellow Vest Movement who arrived by bus and miraculously fed the cold and wet multitude with coffee and croissants. Julian Assange's father, John Shipton, observed his son's trial with Julian's brother Gabriel and Julian's uncle Stephen, his wife and their son Dylan. I interviewed John Shipton, who was dining after the trial at the Frontier Club in London. When we last spoke, you were off to your BBC interview. How did all that go? Foreign Press Association meeting was tremendous. There was a 22 camera teams, a full house, standing room only. And after the event, uh, we were all swamped with interviews. Then we travelled to Belmarsh, and again there were 10 camera crews there waiting for us uh, after we visited Julian, and they took some good interviews, particularly good interview from Andrew Wilkie. Um, the court case hearing was this afternoon, a maintenance hearing. The QC for Julian, Edward Fitzgerald, mentioned was having a lot of trouble getting Julian to go for uh, all of the uh, evidence because of uh, time constraints, and he gave uh, an example. That example was when Senator Rohrabacher visited Julian in the embassy and suggested a deal. This was a year after 2017, a year after Trump was elected. The deal was that Julian say Russia had nothing to do with the matter with the DNC leaks. That was mentioned in court today, which has caused a worldwide media storm. Uh, I don't know much more about it than that. The actual fact uh, that Rory Bucker did visit uh, Julian in the embassy in 2017 and offered a, a deal. We fly to Vienna on the 21st. By invitation, we meet with the Austrian Foreign Ministry. And then we fly back to England for a tremendous rally and a march from 
Australia House to Parliament House. I'll report on that rally to you. It'll be quite good. It's a good mark. The tide has turned and it's in full flood at the moment, but our opponents are fighting back. You have to be cognizant of the fact that Laura Bucker's visit was in 2017, well after the election. What our opponents are doing is putting the Laura Bucker visit before 2016, or in 2016, before the election. Many Assange supporters had hoped that he would not be extradited to the US because Article 4.1 of the US-UK Extradition Treaty forbade political extraditions. However, on day two of the extradition hearing, Judge Baratser delivered a massive bombshell. She stated that although Article 4.1 of the Extradition Treaty forbade political extraditions, this was only in the treaty. That exemption does not appear in the UK Extradition Act. On the face of it, therefore, political extradition was not illegal in the UK, as the treaty had no legal force on the court. She invited the defence to address this argument in the morning. The next evening, I interviewed John Shipton, Julian Assange's father, about his day in court. Today was mostly a legal argument. The the distinctions were that the claim that they couldn't be extradited for a political offence, which is espionage, was made by the defence. And the prosecutor said that even though that's in the treaty between the United States and even though the treaty between the United States and the United Kingdom says they can't extradite for the political offence, that's not reflected in the UK domestic law. So the prosecutor insists that there's no such defence available to Julian. Julian had a great deal of difficulty hearing and there was negotiations going on with the judge to move Julian into the body of the court so that he could converse freely and take instruction from his lawyers. Due process requires that each side be equally armed. Behind the prosecutor, the three American lawyers from the Department of Justice sit and they exchange notes privately, constantly, whereas Julian Everything he says to his lawyers is overheard. He can't pass notes and he can't sit alongside his lawyers and give instruction in the flow of the court. So that's being heard first thing up tomorrow morning uh, as to whether you're going to move into the body of the court out of the glass box which separates him from his lawyers. That's the main thing that will happen first tomorrow morning. What they're attempting to do is the same squalid behaviour that the United Kingdom Crown Prosecuting Service and the Swedish Prosecuting Authority do. They smear Julian. So the Department of Justice concerns itself with smearing Julian. And that smear is that Julian is no more than a common criminal. That the magnificent work that WikiLeaks has done in revolutionising journalism and publication throughout the Western world. 
Yesterday, yes. you were talking about Julian and the way he's been kept in this glass cage and the attempts to get him out so he can at least hear the trial, his own trial. How did that go? I'm broadcasting tonight, you know, John, from the Frontline Club, which is a journalist club established by Vaughan Smith in London. We're surrounded by the very best and bravest of journalism. Today, the argument went about whether Julian can move into the well of the court and not any longer be in the glass box at the back. Mark Summers, Julian QC, argued strongly and produced evidence that throughout the world, this practice of putting people in a glass box to testify, to involve themselves in their own case, was being abandoned. And also uh, that the due process would require uh, Julian to be equally armed, that he would be able to have easy access and confidential access to his lawyers, the same way that the prosecutor has to the Department of Justice lawyers. The judge ruled that this was not possible, that Julian had to stay in the glass box. This is a, a sadistic ruling. Julian has now been separated from ordinary commerce amongst his friends and supporters and lawyers. He still has to look at them and be separate from them. And if they want a private moment to break the court and descend into the dungeons below and do a confidential briefing there and then reassemble the court. It's very sadistic, a disgrace. The treatment, the psychological torture of Julian continues. It's now in its 10th year. The court broke early and won't sit again until we begin again in May.